But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. We will pause just there. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. Sadly, the Christian message today is often skillfully diluted so as to conform to contemporary ways of thinking. The dilution goes something like this. Jesus came down to earth to get alongside us in our everyday needs and concerns. He came to share in the sufferings of ordinary people so as to demonstrate his compassion. He came to create an inclusive society where all are accepted without discrimination. He came to undo all inequality and injustice. And by his example, we can create a thriving democratic society where human rights are respected and poverty is eradicated. And so the Christian faith is often portrayed in this way as promoting exactly the same ideals as the atheistic politicians promote. And this, of course, even enables the atheistic politicians uh, to say they support Christian values, even when they openly deny the Bible's moral teaching. At the moment, um, climate change issues are uh, very much to the fore in the secular political agenda. But what we also see is many churches following suit, hoping that to do so makes them appear far more progressive and relevant than if they were to talk about salvation from sin. This then is telling us that we need to be on our guard against trying to tune in to the spirit of the age. It's a great temptation. Uh, But the Bible actually specifically warns churches not to do this, not to follow the philosophies of men, no matter how uh, fashionable they might be. We are living in a culture and civilization which is actually collapsing because it has abandoned the Christian faith. All around us we see the fruits of the depravity of human nature. And therefore it is distinctly inappropriate uh, for the mainstream churches and uh, evangelical churches are not exempt from this. Uh, It is distinctly inappropriate for them to be majoring on issues um, like climate change, 
poverty and inclusivity. Man's greatest need is to have sin dealt with. He needs to have his very nature transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The human heart must first be cleansed and renewed before we shall ever improve society. And so the church's task is not to preach Jesus Christ as the great eradicator of poverty, nor as the ultimate environmental campaigner. We must preach Christ as the crucified redeemer from man's slavery to sin. We can only create a better and more compassionate society if we first deal with the problem of sin and rebellion against God in every human heart. We can only create a better world if man who is sinful in his very nature is first inwardly transformed. Christianity is about the Son of God and his power to transform men into something which at present they are not. Now, in this verse 9 here, the Apostle Peter is explaining to us exactly what Christ transforms the believer into. And he states to those who have become Christians that they have been transformed into being a chosen generation. That could also be rendered a chosen race. Christian believers literally become a race apart, utterly distinct from the rest of mankind, and chosen by God for a special blessing which is denied to all others. The believer in Christ is the one who is chosen for salvation and everlasting life. A salvation which was planned in eternity. So we learn here that God chooses, selects and separates the believer in Christ from the great mass of mankind. Whereas pseudo-Christianity Man-pleasing churches tend to try and lump mankind all together. And the implication is even that every human being is a child of God. Um, Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ said, Many are called, but few are Chosen, Matthew twenty two fourteen. Many people hear the call of the gospel, but only a few actually repent of their sin 
and believe in Christ. Only a few, therefore, constitute those chosen for salvation. God is sovereign. He saves whomsoever he pleases. He lays down the terms on which men are saved and become his children. He does not save according to human merit and works because no one could ever be good enough if salvation were on that basis. God does not make a tally of man's supposedly good deeds or his charitable donations and then base his saving work upon the results. Oh, he has given generously to charity, therefore I will save his soul. No, God does not work like that. If salvation were by a man's own works and goodness, he could claim it as a right which is due to him. But salvation is not a right. It is given by God's choice. Because the saved are a chosen generation. God chooses to save by grace alone. Grace conferred exclusively upon those who believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. Those who do so, repenting of their sin, are transformed into a chosen generation. A specially select group of people. Those who have been chosen identified and set apart out of the world in order to be in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the word translated generation here, or race as we said, comes from the verb meaning to be born. It could even be translated as offspring. Ye are God's chosen offspring. Those who have believed in Christ become a new race, a new offspring, a new progeny, because they are literally born anew. Now, this is obviously not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. Spiritual, however, does not mean metaphorical. The new birth really happens. When a person is convicted of sin and puts his faith in Jesus Christ, Something happens which had not happened before. There is new life where previously there was no spiritual life at all. 
Every non-Christian out there is devoid of spiritual life. Separated from God. The believer in Christ receives to dwell within him the power of the Holy Spirit. Inwardly transforming him. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And our Lord himself, uh, in John chapter 3, says on two occasions about how necessary the new birth actually is. John 3, verse 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then in verse 7 he says, Ye must be born again, or else you will never reach heaven. Now, this is what the Lord had to tell one of the leading religious teachers of his day, who was skilled in his knowledge of the scriptures. But it was an intellectual knowledge. He did not know the need for an inward transformation, Nicodemus. The new birth, is nothing less than the receiving of Christ himself to dwell within us. It is the reception of a new heart which loves the law of God, where once there was a heart which only loved sin and unbelief. Now, this rebirth, this new birth, is a supernatural act. No man can do it. It is God's work. Man's part, man is not passive in this. He, you know, a, a man cannot justify his unbelief by saying, well, the Lord has not regenerated me yet, so there's nothing I can do. No, 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 man cannot be passive like that. Man's part is to believe the gospel and to come to Jesus Christ. But it is God's work, the new birth. It is God who first draws the unbeliever, It is God who enables the unbeliever to come to faith by the work of the Spirit on the heart. And it is God who then transforms the believer into a new creature so that he becomes a member of this new race, this new chosen generation. Now, interestingly, the Bible also refers to being born again as regeneration. Regeneration. It's another way of saying the same thing. We see this term in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. 
Titus 3, verse 5. When the kindness of God, our Saviour, and his love toward man appeared, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So there we learn that the new birth is an inward washing, an inward cleansing. And all people need this cleansing because all without Christ have corrupted hearts which prefer sin to holiness. So we cannot tell people Being a Christian is all about loving your neighbour and caring for those in need. There's no point in telling a non-believer that whilst they are still governed and controlled by a corrupted heart. They first of all have to have their heart changed before they can begin to start loving their neighbour. They must keep the first table of the law before they can begin to keep the second table of the law. And so, without this inward washing, which is the new birth, no one can ever become a part of the chosen generation. So the new birth is not an optional extra to being a Christian. It is of the essence of being a Christian. Unless a man experiences the new birth as he believes in Jesus Christ, he will be eternally lost. So the Lord Jesus Christ so transforms us as to make us into brand new creatures. This is what really matters. Non-Christians do all kinds of good works in society. But they're not born again and they're not going to heaven. The good works will not get them to heaven. But if the churches teach all that you need to do is to be a good member of the community, then that's in effect telling people to carry on living with a corrupted heart. You must be born again, said our Lord. This is the only way to become a member of this chosen generation, this race set apart from the rest of men. Now, as well as being transformed into a chosen Generation. We also see in this verse 9 that believers in Christ are transformed into a royal priesthood. Every single believer in Jesus Christ becomes a priest. That means, of course, that there is no specific office in the New Testament church of priest. There is no spiritual leader under the new covenant who is called a priest. Uh, And so 
People who minister in churches must not be called priests. Because now that Jesus Christ has died and risen and ascended into heaven, we have our great high priest, that is him, in heaven representing us. And scripture teaches that all believers in Christ are priests. They constitute a royal priesthood. So we must never call ministers in Christ's church priests. And we must also never call them father. Because Jesus said, thou shalt call no man father. We then are priests. This is because every believer in Christ now has direct access to God without the need of any earthly mediator to help him. We do not need to go to any man to help us communicate with God. Because we ourselves are priests. We communicate with God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. We do not need to go to any priest to obtain the forgiveness of sins. We do that directly ourselves through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, in Old Testament times, only the priests were allowed to approach God's presence in the temple. And they did this so as to offer up sacrifices for sin on behalf of the people. That was their priestly function. So the priests acted as mediators for the people. They were anointed by God and set apart as holy men in order to fulfil the crucial role of approaching God's presence on the people's behalf. But since the crucifixion, resurrection and ascension of Christ, there is no longer any need for any earthly intermediaries to approach God in an earthly temple. And so there's no need for any physical temple today, which is a special place where we approach God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ himself is now our great high priest, And he represents us before God's presence in the true temple, which is heaven himself, where he dwells. In fact, the true temple is also the body of Christ, where he supremely dwells with his people. And this is why Paul says to the believers at Corinth, ye are 
the temple of the Holy Ghost. So we have this great privilege as believers in Christ of being part of this royal priesthood whereby we can directly approach God without any human intermediary. We approach God through our heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.18 that through Christ both Jew and Gentile have access in one spirit unto the Father. So we need no earthly priest to bring us into God's presence. Ephesians 3.12 In him, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. So the Christian is now like an Old Testament priest in that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is set apart from the rest of men to serve God and to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. The Christian offers up not the blood of beasts, not animal sacrifices, not any kind of literal sacrifice, but spiritual sacrifices. Namely, the devotion of the heart and the obedience of the life. These are the spiritual sacrifices which the believer offers up. In Roman Catholicism, a, a priest stands at an altar and carries out the sacrament of the Mass, which is a literal offering up again of Christ. The Mass is a sacrifice. And this is why we have to reject it. Because the final sacrifice for sin has now been offered up. So believers in Christ do not need an earthly priesthood. They have become members of a royal priesthood. That is the measure of their dignity and elevation. So the Lord Jesus Christ transforms sinners who believe into the privileged status of belonging to a royal priesthood. So they belong to a chosen generation and they belong to a royal priesthood. Uh, we read in Revelation 1 and verse 6 that Christ has made us kings and priests unto God. So there, as in verse 9 here, we have a combined reference to royalty and priesthood. The Christian is not just a priest. He is a royal 
priest. Christ, our great high priest, is also our king. Believers are the citizens of his kingdom. But our union with Christ is such that we are also said to be joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17. This means that the Christian shares in the Lord's royal status. So we are not only just priests, we are royal priests. We shall inherit the heavenly kingdom by virtue of our relationship to Christ, who is the king. So Christ is our elder brother and we shall inherit with him. Christ is the son of God, but believers are also said themselves to be sons of God. The glory which the Father bestows upon his Son, giving him authority over all the earth, he also, of course, to a much lesser degree, bestows upon believers as being in his Son. Thus, when our Lord, the King, returns to this earth as judge, we, the saints, shall be participating with him in the work of judgment. We shall be sharing in Christ's authority over this world of unbelief. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? The saints shall judge the world. Now, there is no special category of Christian called saint. Every believer in Christ is a saint, one set apart for Christ's service. So every believer in Christ is a priest and every believer in Christ is a saint. And this is why we have to separate from churches which teach that saints and priests are a special category of believer. The believer in Christ then belongs to a royal family. He becomes part of Christ's mystical body of which Christ is the head. And so, in this respect, the believer is intimately joined to Christ, who is king over all. The believer is indwelt by the same Holy Spirit who indwelt the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on this earth. In his second epistle, Peter even speaks of Christians as being partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1 verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these 
ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, what Peter means there is that believers have the very life of Christ implanted within them. The elevated status of the Christian is such that Paul even tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 and verse 6, God hath raised us up with Christ and made us to sit with him in the heavenly places. So right now the believer is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so again we see the royal dignity of all who believe in Christ. So not only is the Christian a priest, he is also a royal priest, a member of a royal priesthood. Jesus Christ then transforms believers who were dying sinners into royal priests who have direct access to God and who shall reign with Christ forevermore. Well, being a member of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood are privileges enough. We cannot begin to comprehend that. But not only that, believers in Christ are also members of and a holy nation. They constitute a people specially set apart. Now, the term holy nation is a phrase drawn directly from the Old Testament, which is, what is the Old Testament? It's the history of one specific nation which was set apart from the rest of the world as being the only people who believed in the one true God. And the Greek word translated holy literally means separated from or set apart from, dedicated to God and therefore separate from others. And this is also the meaning of the English word peculiar. And and it's good that we retain these words, which many would call archaic today. But, But these words, which have meanings, which sadly they often don't have any more in the present. But if we understand aright the original meaning of these words, we will better appreciate what they truly mean for us today, spiritually. Now, even today, actually, in English, if someone has a certain characteristic, we say that characteristic is peculiar to them. That means they alone possess that characteristic. Well, believers in Christ 
are said to be, in the word of God, a peculiar people. Meaning that they have the special, unique characteristic of belonging to God. Exodus 19, verse 5. God says to Israel, If ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all peoples. And ye shall be unto me a holy nation. So, holy nation, peculiar people, same thing, same concept. Israel had a unique status, different from any other nation, separated from the rest of men by reason of their faith in the one true God. The badge of their separation was their circumcision. They were the circumcised, the rest of men were the uncircumcised. They were the people who served God, the rest of men served false gods. They were the people in covenant with God, the other nations were bereft of any fellowship with God at all. And this is the pattern for the true church. Since the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there continues to be just one single people in covenant with God. Now this single people is now made up of those out of many nations. But it continues to be a single nation, a holy nation. There is today just one grouping of people who continue to be God's true Israel. And that is those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. The holy nation is the gathering of those who believe in the Messiah who have been transformed from being unclean outcasts into becoming members of God's holy nation. We see then to what a great extent the Lord transforms those who believe in him. He elevates Believers, out of a position of utter degradation. He transforms them into a chosen generation. A generation chosen for salvation by grace and not by works. A generation or race set apart from the rest of mankind because they have been saved from their sins. The Lord causes the sinner to be born again, to be regenerated in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be inwardly washed. The Lord 
transforms believers into priests. Those specially anointed and set apart to have access to the presence of the Holy God. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, becomes a priest and becomes a royal priest. So the believer is transformed into one who has royal status. Because those who believe in Christ are united to the King of Kings, who now reigns over this earth from his heavenly throne. He transforms believers into members of a holy nation. Whereas formerly they were part of an utterly corrupted and depraved world. The Lord Jesus Christ separates men from the unclean mass. And he makes them into a special holy people who belong to him. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is our status as those who believe in Christ. And this is the message which our society desperately needs to hear. The person has to be transformed before society will ever improve. And so it is the task of the church to preach the gospel so that sinners might be transformed into a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. All have to undergo this transformation before they can begin to be good people and love their neighbour as they should. Do we wish to improve society? Then we must preach the gospel. Because the Lord Jesus Christ must first transform the individual before our society will ever improve. Amen.